This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Grace to receive, Lord, the discipline to listen, and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit to obey. Lord, be merciful to us. We ask again in Jesus' name. We're going to um, start uh, on this this, pass, this passage. Which passage am I talking about? Actually, Psalm 95, which is one of my <clears throat> favorite psalms. It's a psalm that um, we use in the Anglican liturgy uh, for morning prayer. And it is a psalm that is very pertinent for the day uh, or the time in which we find ourselves. It is a psalm that begins with, uh, you might say, the theme of worship, or it's a a psalm about uh, enthronement. Now, there are many enthronement psalms, but most of those psalms are about the enthronement of Israel's kings. This is about the enthronement of of God himself. And I'd just like to read these verses to remind us of uh, not only how powerful they are, uh, but how majestic they are as well. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Why are we doing this? Very simple. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Obviously, this is a a polytheistic world in which many uh, people in the surrounding nations and perhaps even those uh, in Israel itself Uh, believe in more than one God. And yet the psalmist is telling us, indeed, there's only one God. And because he's the only God and he's great, then he deserves our worship. And not only does he deserve our worship for who he is, he deserves worship for what he has done. And here we have uh, reference to the creation. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Response, come, let us bow down in worship. Yes, let us humble ourselves. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. And a very um, frequent theme Uh, in ancient Middle Eastern literature uh, in many different cultures, including the uh, religious culture of Israel, is that kings uh, were, were, I should say, at uh, at once they were royalty, and yet they shepherded and cared for their people. Yes, we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God is not only the great king, but he's also the shepherd who cares, <clears throat> uh, who cares for his people. Yes, 
So that theme, Jesus saying, my mission as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords, is to go and look for the lost sheep and to be their shepherd. So there's a very, there's a very ancient theme that reappears uh, in the New Testament. <clears throat> and it says, uh, these are the first seven verses. <clears throat> Beautiful, wonderful. But here comes a warning. And the warning can be summed up like this. All the worship in the world, yes, all the good feelings or, or, or all of our understanding about the majesty of God and that he's the only one and that he cares for us and provides for us, it's all worthless if we are not obedient. It's all worthless. And the psalmist here is going to use an example. Yes, and that example is going to be the story that we read before Psalm 95. It was from Exodus 17. And uh, it's a very powerful story because it's not only repeated in Psalm 95, but also in the book of Hebrews. And it obviously made an impression uh, upon the, the biblical authors. And hopefully it will make an impression upon us because again, there's something to, for us to learn from this. And it goes on to say, here the warning begins, today, if you would only hear his voice, it's almost as if God is pleading. If you'd only hear my voice, I want to speak to you. And he goes on to say, do not harden your hearts Yes, as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah uh, in the wilderness when your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Forty years I was angry with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath my anger, they shall not enter my rest. Now, you might think to yourself, wait a minute, a story from the Old Testament, I can hear people thinking, yes, I can hear the thoughts. You know, it's awfully harsh, God was, was mean, there's not a lot of grace or mercy in the Old Testament. But may I remind you of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul writes to a church, yes, of Gentiles. And he says to those Gentiles, I want to tell you about our forefathers. Which forefathers? The forefathers of that wilderness generation. He's saying to the Gentiles, you know, this is a story about the Hebrews, or this is a story about the Jewish people, but actually, they're your forefathers. And further, their story is your story. And Paul tells that church, we need to be very careful, and we need to learn from them, not just from the events of the Old Testament, but especially from those events that happened to Israel in the wilderness. And basically, Paul is saying, you know, we're like those people especially if we're, not going to, if we're not careful and we're not cautious because we can end up like them. And Paul says, take note, take heed, be warned, exactly as the psalmist is saying here. 
And what, what are the two, perhaps, issues that come up that uh, should, I suppose, be flashing red lights for us? Yes? Let's, can, let's go back just a little bit. It says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. Yes, Israel hardened, um, Israel uh, hardened their hearts. So what, it, what was it that made their hearts hard? When we uh, look at the passage in Hebrews, by the way, uh, it gives us a little more of a, a little, gives us something further to uh, think about. And it says um, uh, as follows. It says uh, that the hearts of the people of Israel, it says they were hardened, the, the hearts of that desert generation, they were hardened, hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Well, what sin did they commit? Yes, because it's true, it's, it's certainly, I think we can all agree that indeed sin is deceitful. And if we continually sin without repentance or uh, a desire to be cleansed, that uh, we can easily become deceived. So what, what was it? And uh, whether you're reading Psalm 95 or you're reading uh, Exodus 17 or Hebrews chapter three and four, yes, I mean, if the first and foremost sin is a lack of faith. There is a lack of faith. And there is a lack of gratitude. You know, the people, the people that we, uh, people of Israel that we encounter in uh, Exodus 17, yes, simply aren't grateful <clears throat> for what God has done for them. Not only are they not grateful after being delivered and, and uh, in a very spectacular way, being taken from Egypt. They didn't deserve any of it, by the way. Uh, and this is grace. God redeemed them. God saved them out of slavery. Yeah, they didn't uh, earn, there was nothing that they earned that actually uh, made God decide to wake up one day and to take them uh, out of uh, the land of slavery and bring them to freedom. So God humbles the mightiest country in the world on their behalf. They escape from Pharaoh after Pharaoh has been uh, humiliated and uh, judged. They cross the sea. They uh, get manna. They have quail. And yet so quickly they forget who God is and what God has done for them. And if you think it's just those Israelites back then, my dear friends, they are us. Yes. God has done for, for, many, of the, for many of us in this room, God has done phenomenal things. God has brought us liberation and deliverance and transformation miraculous provision, healing, yes, whatever it may be. And yet how easily, easily, easily do we forget? Yes, how easily uh, 
Do we say like those Israelites, they say in verse seven, is God among us? I mean, where is the guy? <clears throat> I mean, we've, we've got this difficulty. There's no water. Yes. So it's, it is a lack of faith, and it's that lack of gratitude. And uh, we need to be really careful. And by the way, I think also in the time in which we live, we need to be careful that we don't harden our hearts. Yes? We live in a time of, uh, at the moment, scarcity. Uh, we don't know if there's enough toilet paper to, you know, in the shops tomorrow. We're not sure there's going to be medicine. We're not sure there's going to be money or work or whatever it may be. And it, become, it can become very easy for all of us to think, hey, it's all about me, me, me. Yes, it's all, I don't, I better not share. I better not be generous. Uh, I better hoard, I better hoard for myself. There was a guy on television last night, uh, a psychologist, just before the prime minister came on, and he was talking about why people hoard. Why is it people have to have all this toilet paper, okay? And the reason people hoard is because they want to somehow gain control of the situation. Yes, there's a psychological need. But if we have to gain control of the situation like that, it's a dead end. Yes, our response should be one of dependence upon the Lord. Yes, not uh, the uh, urge, for example, to hoard. Now I say all this, because who is God in the midst of all this? We read that God was angry with his people, yet God still provided for them. They tested his patience, yes. They continued to push and to complain uh, and to gripe and to be disobedient all the way through, yes, this desert experience. Yet God still kept, keep, kept his covenant and continued to provide Yes, continues to provide for his people. But there's a warning in all of this, yes? Uh, there's a warning. While God continued to provide for them, ultimately they don't enter his rest. So uh, we need to be uh, a little bit careful. Uh, and uh, just because God perhaps is providing for us or providing for our ministry doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord is pleased with us. Secondly, what do these people do, according to the psalm? They put the Lord to the test. What does that mean, to put God to the test? They say, God, if you're really God, prove yourself. Yeah, show us, you know, who you are. Especially in light of what God's already done for them or what God has already done for us. So God is, uh, they put God to the test. And of course, this... Um, uh, ends up being uh, a uh, really a, a huge mistake that they make. Now, in contrast, God will test us. Yes, God will put us sometimes in difficult times. Maybe he takes away our money or our financial support. He may take away our job, whatever it may be. It may be our health. But God will test us. We shouldn't test him. And why does God test us? He, he will test us for our own benefit. It doesn't always feel that way, especially when we're in the test itself. But I'd like to remind you of the words of Deuteronomy chapter 8. In that passage, which is a very, very 
one of the most important passages in the book of Deuteronomy. Aaron, have you gotten there yet? Well, I'm, you're on four. I think when you come to eight, you should spend a month on that chapter, okay? Um, he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you, right, in order to know what was in your heart, yes? Right? But it's not for God to know what's in our heart. It's, it's so that we will know what's in our heart. Because again, as we've said before here more than once, we easily deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. We don't want to tell ourselves the truth. We don't want to hear uh, perhaps what other people have to say for us. And further, there is an inbuilt, yes, inability in human beings to look at ourselves in the mirror, yes, for 40 years or 50 years, and to fully be able to appraise ourselves fairly. But boy, I'll tell you, we can look at someone else and after an hour, we can figure out who they are, what's good about them, and we, we know all their problems. But we have a very hard, we have a very difficult time doing that to ourselves. How does God show us who we are and where we need to be transformed? or perhaps where our strengths are spiritually, where we've, our, our place, uh, our, our walk, where we've come into maturity or where we've, we have failed, yes? Uh, and that is to test us. And so God tested the people of Israel, but instead of allowing God to test them, they turned the tables, they wanted to turn the tables and try to test God. Um, it is not pleasant but the Lord will test us. Yes, it's for our own good. We shouldn't run away. Yes, we should allow him or ask him not to test us beyond our strength, uh, not to put us in situations that will overwhelm us or to cause us to sin, uh, yet at the same time, uh, knowing that he does, he does this because he loves us. Now, the other thing that, I, that is important, I think, in the passage is going back to, going to Hebrews 12. It says, um, it says they, they quote Psalm 95. It says, See, so I declare on oath in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. See to it, brothers. Okay, the book of Hebrews goes on and chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But, what's the medicine for this? But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Yes? We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold uh, our original conviction firmly to the very end. As just has, as, sorry, as has just been said. And then it repeats this voice, it repeats this warning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden our hearts. Yes, do not harden our hearts like that generation did in the wilderness. Okay? So that we may enter his rest. Now, in this, this idea of, of uh, being faithful, 
yes, of encouraging one another or supporting one another. I'd like to just go back uh, to the story in Exodus 17. And in Exodus 17, the first seven verses of that, this is the story of Israel uh, complaining uh, about the water. Yes, we're not, there's nothing for us to drink, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, they, they ask that very, very audacious question. Is God with us? Is he amongst us? And uh, the ancient Jewish commenter, commentators uh, gave a, a sermon illustration uh, to this verse, which I think is quite apt, yes? And uh, they said it was like a man who was carrying his son all day on his shoulders. And towards the end of the day, the son has the chutzpah, or the nerve to ha ask, where is my father? Yes, where is my father? And then verse eight in chapter 17 says, and Amalek came. Amalek, yes, they, this, they were the Nazis of the ancient Middle East. They came and attacked, they came and attacked Israel. It seemed unprovoked, yes, and the, the, the war that follows seems to have nothing to do, yes, with uh, the first seven verses, but it actually has everything to do with the first seven, because once again, Israel becomes like we all do, it becomes dependent upon God. And uh, you know the story. General Joshua is out fighting the battle. Moses is up there raising his hands. If he keeps his hands raised, uh, the, the Israelites win. If he lowers his hands, then uh, they begin to lose. So who comes to help him? Aaron and her. <coughs> yes. So Aaron and her come along. They hold up his hands. What is, the, what is this all about? Yeah, maybe he's praying. Yes, because you're holding up your hands, praising the Lord. Could be. That's a natural thing to do, isn't it? You're in a big mess. Uh, your army is losing. So you praise the Lord and you pray. There's probably a better answer to this. Um, Moses holds up his hands he holds up his hands, it's like a flag. Yes, it's like a pennant. It's like a banner. And his soldiers, they see him holding up his hands. And this encourages them. This gives them, uh, you might say, faith or strengthens their, uh, their morale in the time, uh, time of this, uh, this, uh, this battle, okay? And the word for a banner or a pennant is the, in Hebrew, it's the word ness. What is a ness? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Really Moses, by holding up his hands, Moses is saying there's a miracle in our midst. The Lord is actually in our midst. And I think this, um, uh, what do you call it, this, uh, Solution or, or this explanation that, uh, is actually best, um, uh, you might say, confirmed by the fact that at the end of the battle, Moses builds an altar. And what, what's the name of the altar? The Lord is my banner, right? That's the altar that, <coughs> that he indeed 
uh, he indeed builds. And what's the other, I think the other thing that's very essential about this, and that is, is that Aaron and her have to hold up his hands. And it says that they steady his hands until sunset. Now, we've said this before, maybe a number of times, but it's worth saying again and again and again. The first time the word faith, the word emunah in Hebrew, appears in the Bible is in the context of this story. It's not about Abraham and his belief. Yes, the word faith is translated, very rightly so in our Bible, as the word steady. So faith in Hebrew is not about simply believing something. Yes, all right. It's not that Israel's, the faith of Israel or the lack of faith of Israel is that they refuse to believe something. Faith is to be steady, to be persistent, yes, to stick to something and not quit. It's to be faithful, yes. And so when God talks or or when he brings a charge against his people, the people that he loves, Yes, and talks about their unbelief or their lack of faith. Yes, it was their lack of faithfulness. Yes, it was their refusal, for example, to be, uh, to be grateful. Or it was their refusal, yes, to uh, have the proper, you might say, uh, understanding of who God is. But Moses and her had to hold up sorry, her and Aaron, had to hold up the hands of Moses. And I think, I I believe that, uh, especially that when we're facing difficulty, when we're facing trial, we're being tested, um, just as it says in the book of Hebrews, we need to be like Aaron and her for each other. We, not, we need to encourage one another. We need to make sure that we're honest with each other so that we're not deceived by the deceitfulness of men. Sorry, sin, not men, but men and women can also, uh, can also deceive us, yes, by holding up our arms so that, uh, especially those of us who are going through uh, whatever difficulty, yes, can be faithful. Yes, that we can be persistent so that we don't quit uh, and, and give up. And finally, you know, the, the over and over again, yes, in Psalm 95 and in Hebrews, it talks about hearing his voice. Yes, hearing his voice. And um, when, when are we most attentive or willing to be most attentive to hearing that voice? When we have a trial. When, we ha- when we're being tested, that's the natural time, yes, to listen to God's voice. And I think sometimes God puts us through tough situations so that we will stop and listen. Yes, because when things are going well and our schedule is full and we've got meetings uh, and uh, uh, speaking engagements or things to people to see or uh, places to go. Yes, all kinds of plans. Uh, when we run, when we run, when we run, yes, we don't have time to listen. We don't hear what God has to say to us. 
We're not, we're too busy for that, yes? You know, we've got our own plans and we've got our own, uh, we've got our own agenda. So we now find ourselves, many of us will find ourselves with a lot of time on our hands, yes? A lot of time on our hands. And uh, we can spend, we can spend, we can use that looking at social media, playing with our phone, watching Netflix, well, we can use some of that time, yes, to hear his voice. Yes, to hear his voice. And I, I would encourage all of us, I would encourage all of us to use our, our what we're going to be locked down perhaps for five weeks, where life isn't going to be normal for five weeks. We're certainly not going to be Uh, jetting here or running there, yes, to take the time to hear his voice so that we don't miss what God has to say to us. So we don't end up, yes, with with a hardened heart. Or we don't end up uh, being uh, full of ingratitude. Or we forget actually who the Lord is. We're in the season of Lent and being in the season of Lent uh, what better things to do than to do those things that traditionally Christians have done during this season? Yes, fast. This is a time that we could be used, we could use for fasting. More prayer. Yes, more giving, more generosity. Uh, and certainly these are the things that will uh, keep us from having, you know, a hardened heart. I think we, one last point uh, especially when we pray. We need to pray for uh, our nations and those, of course, those people who are sick. And surely we want to pray for a, um, for a, a cure to corona. But at the same time, we should pray that as our nations, yes, are, on, are being tested, as our culture is being tested, Yes, as the governments, the bureaucracies are being tested, that they and us, yes, they and they and we will hear God's voice. Yes, we will hear God's voice, and we will not we will not miss what God is saying to us. So, Father in heaven, indeed, uh, indeed, we pray once again that while you bring all of us to a place of trial or to a place of testing because of your great love for us. Yes, please, we ask that uh, nothing will get in the way of hearing that voice. Lord, our love of sin, yes, our pride, our hard hearts, our apathy, our addictions, our appetites. We pray, Lord, that in each case, each individual here, that you will break through. Yes, and speak in a way that each of us can hear. And we ask this again, Lord, not only for your sake, but also, Lord, we ask it, ask this for the, uh, for the sake of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.